welcome. This is Craig Applegath, and this is the 21st Century Imperative Podcast, the podcast series that explores the insights and approaches of scientists, designers, planners, engineers, business entrepreneurs, and other successful change makers who are finding effective ways to meet the three critical challenges posed by the 21st Century Imperative. These are how will we continue to live on our planet without destroying our biosphere? How will we repair and regenerate the environmental damage we have already caused? And how will we adapt to the escalating impacts of climate change? Each episode will feature an interview with an individual whom I think you will find not only inspiring, but also very relevant to helping you answer the question, what can I do to meet the challenges of the 21st century imperative? My guest today is Connor Reed an associate with Reshape Infrastructure Strategies in Toronto, where he is responsible for low-carbon development strategy. I first met Connor last year when he reached out to me as a long-time 21st Century Imperative podcast listener. We quickly hit it off, and I was immediately impressed by Connor's deep knowledge of carbon strategy, his sharp analytical thinking, as well as his clear communication skills. Connor is one of those rare individuals who likes to get deep into the weeds on analytical engineering problems but who can also pull up to look at a problem from 30,000 feet, which is why it's such a pleasure to tell you that Connor and I will be launching a new segment on this podcast that we're calling 21st Century Clean Tech. In this segment that will air every other month, Connor will be interviewing leading entrepreneurs, researchers, and business leaders who are breaking fresh ground with innovative new clean technologies that could be important tools for helping us to transition to a zero carbon economy. This is a project that Connor and I are very excited to be launching, and I'm thinking you will also enjoy hearing from a new voice with a fresh perspective. Now some more background about Connor. After receiving a Bachelor of Applied Science in Engineering Physics with first-class honors from Queen's University, Connor worked in the Energy Management Division of Queen's University for two years before moving to Toronto to begin his low-carbon urban development consulting career first with Morrison Hirschfeld as a building energy consultant, and more recently as an associate with Reshape Strategies. Connor's professional focus is on advancing district-scale energy solutions to facilitate innovative, resilient, and sustainable urban development. Even though he spends his nine to five mostly thinking about green buildings and green cities, he also tries to stay on top of anything and everything related to decarbonization, from nuclear fusion to carbon sequestration. You can think of this episode as a prequel to the 21st Century Clean Tech launch, which we plan to be a recurring segment. In this first episode, Connor and I talk about his passion for podcasting, what types of clean tech stories he will be exploring, who we will be interviewing, and who he hopes to interview in the future. We will also be hearing a few clips from some of the upcoming interviews that Connor has lined up. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Connor. Thanks for having me, Craig. In the intro to this podcast, I told listeners about your current work in low-carbon consulting. So why don't you tell listeners more about how you ended up doing consulting work in low-carbon technology and engineering, and when you got interest in carbon science and engineering, and how did it become your career? Sure. Well, Craig, if you would have asked me when I was a kid what I wanted to do, I think I would have told you uh, I wanted to be an explorer, I wanted to be an astronaut, I wanted to be a uh, inventor. You know, I had a lot of different interests, to be honest, but I think they were all kind of centered around doing something new, being at the frontier, um, doing something that is innovative. 
And, you know, so I went to university, I studied physics, I, I had a passion for space. Uh, I was kind of inspired by the Carl Sagan's, the Neil deGrasse Tyson's, thinking about these big ideas about exploring space, colonizing Mars. Um, the reality wasn't as sexy when I got to university. Uh, I, I found out that a lot of physics is um, more about sitting at your computer <laughs> and analyzing Cranking a lot data. of data. That's right, analyzing a lot of data, which you know I still had an interest in, but uh, I, I definitely came to realize that I wanted a more hands-on field of study. And so I, I ended up transferring from physics to uh, engineering physics. You know, my family, there is nobody who are, who's an engineer. Uh, I didn't know anybody who was an engineer going into university. And so it wasn't really something that I had considered, but I was in university. I lived with a bunch of engineers and it really clicked that uh, I wanted to kind of combine my physics background with something that was more hands-on. So I went into engineering physics and through that, I actually ended up taking an internship at the university working in energy management. And this kind of opened my eyes to the field of uh, energy conservation, carbon reductions, uh, sustainability. And, you know, it, I think it fit in with this idea and this interest of being at the frontier. Obviously, climate change is, I think, kind of the defining challenge of our time. And, and so I really just kept rolling with um, sustainability. And I ended up uh, getting into consulting, moving to Toronto, uh, working in, in buildings and consulting on low-carbon buildings, low-carbon urban development, um, and eventually now also in district energy. So that's kind of where my interest started and, and where I am now. What about podcasting? We're using this podcast as a way to introduce you because we're going to be setting up a segment of 21st Century Imperative that is about clean tech. So where did your interest in podcasting come from? Sure. Well, I can't talk about podcasting without giving a shout out to uh, this podcast. I would have to acknowledge it. It definitely has been on my playlist for a few years now. But I, I think I've, I've listened to podcasts and had an interest in podcasts for the past few years. Um, it's something that has always been a kind of back burner interest for me, interviewing other people. I've always, I always found myself sitting down with friends and just wanting to hear more about their background, more about their story. Uh, more about how they got to where they are today, because I always am interested in career development to a certain degree. So I think it was just a natural fit. I was talking to you one day, I reached out to you to talk about the podcast and you kind of prodded me and said, hey, you know, like you're young, might as well do it now. If you have an interest in doing a podcast, just do it. And I didn't really have a response to that. I didn't have an excuse not to do a podcast or not to start recording podcasts. And uh, you kindly offered to help me out in that endeavor. And so here we are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and record some interesting podcasts for people and uh, hopefully they'll like it. Well, a little later on in the podcast, we're going to set up some clips. And I, I think uh, just from some of the, the clips that you've already gotten from interviews, it sounds like the podcast will be really, really interesting and people will find them fascinating. This new segment of our podcast is going to be focused mainly on innovative, renewable and clean technology. So why don't you talk a bit more about exactly what clean tech is, or at least the clean tech you're going to be exploring in the podcast? Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, that I think kind of reflects my background. Obviously, as an engineer, uh, I'm a little bit more focused on technologies, on solutions. I like to, I think, get a little bit more into the weeds on exactly what we're doing, whether it's in the built environment, whether it's in transportation, whether it's in agriculture, whatever sector. Uh, my interests tend to fall more on the technology side. I don't want to give anybody the impression that I don't think that policy is important. I don't want to give anybody the impression that I don't think that there are other important 
facets to climate action. It just happens to be where my interests lie and the type of people that I want to talk about. So you kind of asked, what is clean tech? I would define clean tech as any company, and, and these are the people that I'm trying to talk to, are researchers, innovators, business leaders who are involved in technology within the built environment, within transportation, within industry, and probably within agriculture, focused around GHG emissions reductions. And I think I'm kind of narrowly focused on decarbonization, as opposed to some of the other facets of sustainability, which are important, but don't necessarily pique my interests. Things like water use reduction, things like sustainable agriculture. I personally wouldn't really focus on those issues. I think they're important. They just don't really line up with where my interests lie. So just to kind of summarize, to me, clean tech is about technologies that address emissions reductions in buildings, in transportation, uh, in industry, and to some degree, land management, agriculture, forest management, kind of more ambiguous there. And you could probably even put a fifth category there, which is carbon capture, carbon sequestration. So that's kind of how I think about clean tech. Yeah. And when we had our original conversation, we were talking about your interest in podcasting. And it struck me that a podcast segment or a separate podcast on clean technology and the gnarliness of tech, the diving into the weeds, is just what some listeners have been saying. I've been getting feedback saying, you know, can you do some podcasts on the heart of the technology? What's really, what's happening right now? And so I thought it was a really good idea but I'm not an engineer, I'm an architect. So I didn't think I would probably be the best person to dive into those engineering questions as effectively. So I think it's a nice balance to have you being able to dive into that. So so welcome aboard. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think we're complimentary. Um, I really enjoy listening to, and I think a lot of your interests around public policy, you know, advocacy for different policy reforms, which are really important. It's just something that I don't know anything about, or I don't know a lot about, right? And I don't want to be in uh, in the chair asking somebody questions about something that I don't know anything about. And I also just want to add, I probably missed a fifth category or a sixth category. I don't know what number we're up to here <laughs> in my in my buckets. Well, of if you say tech. six, no one's really counting, so no one's going to say <laughs> no. It was five. So I think I missed one, which is uh, which is power and utilities. I mean, it connects all of the previous industries. Obviously, power and utilities uh, relates to buildings, relates to automotive, relates to uh, industry. But I would probably put that into its own category as well. You know, I, I'm I'm just thinking about a few podcasts from now. At the end of the year, we could do a podcast on summing up some of the key things that were discovered in our podcast that might be really interesting in review. And so we can go back and forth between the policy and big picture and, and the gnarly science. And I think that'd be very cool, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was in terms of getting going as a podcaster, which podcasts or podcasters really inspire you? We've had a number of conversations in the past about what makes a good interviewer and a good interview. What do you think? What makes for a really great interview? Yeah, I don't think, Greg, that I'm going to be able to give you like the IO. I don't. I don't have some niche interest of some obscure uh, uh, interview out there that somebody would will never have heard of. I think I'm going to give the most vanilla answer possible to this, which is you know basically the most popular podcasters out there. But they just happen to be the ones that I listen to. So um, in terms of podcasts, I mean, my my heavy rotation is Tim Ferriss, unsurprisingly, one of the most popular podcasts uh, of any podcast out there. I think Tim Ferriss does a good job of 
on one side of the coin being conversational, but also keeping the conversation on track and being able to pull out some more relatable humanitarian stories, things when you're interviewing people like Jamie Foxx, it's, it's hard to relate to somebody like that. But he's- That was a good interview. By the way, I've got to say, um, it was Tim Ferriss's podcast that got me podcasting. In fact, I use his his technique. At, we're going to wrap up today with with three uh, <laughs> rapid fire questions, and that's his techniques. And I've I've a number of times thanked him. So thanks very much, Tim Ferriss, yet again. Thank you, Tim Ferriss. That's probably true of a lot of people. I found myself even you know using some of the phrases that I feel like he uses all the time on the podcast when I was interviewing um, some of the people that I've interviewed already for this podcast. So Tim Ferriss would be one. Joe Rogan, I, I do listen to, again, probably the most popular podcast that there is. I listen to, to Joe Rogan. I mean, it's not, I, I definitely don't listen to it. every interview. I probably catch every 10th or every 15th. He's just such a prolific podcaster that I'm definitely not interested in every guest that he has on there, but every once in a while. But you know what he, what he does really well um, is at first when I heard him, I thought, oh my God, some of those questions are, I don't know. Um, but, but he's really good at being every person every man, every woman, and asking dumb questions or what might seem dumb if you know about the topic that the interviewer is bringing to the table. But as a result, he can just ask the questions and he doesn't worry about sounding like a dumb question because that's that's the stick. And he has some great guests on too, like really awesome guests. That's right. And yeah, I think he's, he's great at keeping it conversational. In fact, you know, probably most of the podcasts are more than 50% him speaking, <laughs> which is not something I want to replicate. Yeah. Um, but I, I do try and work on you know, in not essentially making the podcast boring. I, I do want it to feel like two people just having a, a conversation. I want it to be two people having a conversation. That's number two. The third one that um, I used to listen to a lot more before it went behind a paywall um, was the Sam Harris podcast and is the Sam Harris podcast. I mean, he's just such a uh, interesting guy, obviously slightly inflammatory, slightly controversial on a few issues. Um, but that notwithstanding, you know, he's a genius, quite frankly. He has a lot of really good points. He has a lot of really good guests. And uh, I just find him really interesting. Remember one of the podcasts on psychedelics and uh, he was interviewing Michael Pollan who just written how to change your mind. He starts to tell Paul about, you know what? It's a really good idea not to drop acid when you're in a canoe. <laughs> like, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that's probably a really good idea, but no, he's, he's got some uh, great, great podcast guests as well. He's a very thoughtful man. Yeah. One of those pieces of, of wisdom that you just get when you, that you, when you get older, you know, don't drop acid when you're a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to be any age to take that advice. <laughs> so those would, would probably be the three that I would point to. But uh, yeah, in terms of interviewing style, I think a mix of those is what I would... Okay, I'm not going to point to them and say I'm going to try and emulate them. That's a little bit self-inflating, but that's that's the, the goal eventually. And what kinds of listeners do you want to connect with? And what do you hope listeners are going to take away from your podcasts? I hope listeners are really tuning in for, for two reasons. Um, one, and maybe it makes more sense to, to kind of talk about who I hope to connect with first. I think really probably the target audience, and, and I don't want to prescribe parameters here, and if you fall outside the parameters that you say I'm not going to tune in, I, you know, I think it's probably there's information for everybody. But if, if I have to uh, say who I think would probably take the most out of these uh, podcasts is uh, individuals with maybe a little bit more of a technical background who are interested in technology uh, and also probably individuals who are 
maybe a little earlier or kind of in the midpoint in their career um, who are interested in decarbonization and climate action. And I say that because what I really try and get out of the podcasts are, you know, what are the real solutions that are have promise that aren't just ideas on a blackboard that are actually in the real world, you know, actually have funding, actually are on a path to success that are focused on decarbonization. And there's a little bit of a, um, a prerequisite in terms of general understanding of the landscape. So that's where the technical background comes in. But also, I hope that listeners are tuning in for a little bit of their own self-interest to gauge, okay, if I'm 22, if I'm 25, and I have my career ahead of me, um, what horse should I bet on here? You know, because I, I think everybody is looking to have high impact. And, and a part of having high impact is focusing your efforts in an industry, in a technology, in a field that will actually have an impact on society. There's no silver bullet here. There's lots of different technologies and solutions that are going to actually change the world over the next 30 years as we deal with climate change. And I'd like to give listeners kind of just a broad array, a kind of, a kind of overview of, you know, what is worth spending time on? Listen, I've had people send me uh, videos of like vertical axis wind farms and all this junk that I just want to let people know, don't focus on that. <laughs> like there are real solutions out there and there are real people who have real plans to address climate change. And I just want to highlight that for people so that they can know if they're getting into this field, okay, you know what? That And, and they have people to look up to as well to say, this is how... Um, you know, Matt Tickerick got to be the president of Subterra Renewables. This is how Julia St. Michael got to be the first sustainability director at N-Wave. And, and I want to give those stories for people to look up to if they're kind of in the earlier midpoint in their career. So that's, I think, a little bit about who I hope to connect with and, and a little bit about what I hope they take away from the podcast. I think you have a few clips uh, from these interviews to give listeners a sense of what's to come. So why don't you set these up for us? Sure. Yeah. So so like you said, I've, I've gone out and I've uh, recorded some interviews with the intention of pre-recording this for the next few episodes uh, that are going to be released over the next few months. So uh, this should just give listeners a taste of what they might expect if they're going to tune into the next few episodes. The first clip that's going to be coming up here is uh, myself talking to Mike Andrad. Mike is the CEO of Morgan Solar, but his background is, is amazing. He worked at IBM. He, he was one of the founders of Celestica uh, and was kind of the number two guy there before he left. He's an investor. He's on the board of, you know, however many different um, companies that are involved or organizations that are advocating for clean tech and specifically clean tech in, in Canada. And so Mike's passion and really a lot of his lessons learned from his career were around commercialization and standardization of electronics components and how do we really compete how do we allow the canadian clean tech sector to compete on a global scale so that's the perspective that he's really bringing uh, to morgan solar to scale their production up to uh, the global market and here he's talking about technology disruption he's going to talk about how canada is over invested in some of our incumbent energy sources oil and gas etc and how we should really be focusing on the disruptive technologies, wind, solar, et cetera. And so here's the clip with Mike Andrad. This is a dollars and cents question that now the generation costs of, let's just talk electrical uh, system, undercut all of those models. Like they are just cheaper now to have new solar, new wind, new combinations of wind, solar, and storage now are just cheaper than the natural gas and coal and the nuclear and even hydroelectric, frankly, when you look at the full cost of those things. 
they're just going to be better. Secondly, they're more resilient because they're not hub and spoke. They're all this distributed power thing. So Canada is not being the only country that's up against that. Those are just the forces. And we can choose to ignore them or not. We can choose to say, we can be like IBM and say, look, we have the best nuclear and we have this hydroelectric bounty and we have this oil sands bounty and look at us, we're the best. And, and so is IBM and so is Nortel and so is Kodak. And you know, just recognize where we are in the historical bend of this, this, this story is that Technology doesn't give a rat's ass for that, for your incumbency or your previous strengths for the previous generation. They, they care about where it's at right now. So that's the first thing is that, that we have to look at this more holistically and get out of the debate in Canada, which is a made in Canada debate, which is our energy conversations is internal. Well, how do you maximize the nuclear industry? We want SMRs or how do you keep the oil sands working? Well, we got to put carbon capture to make them less. Or, you know, how do we use natural gas to make hydrogen? And it's like they, these, they come from places that say, how do we keep the inertia going for industries? Rather than something's changing, we're heavily invested in the current version, you need to diversify. To diversify, you don't keep doing what you're doing. You have to start disinvesting what you're doing and overinvest in the new. And Canada is so heavily invested in its current energy business that just stopping investing in it isn't going to be enough to shift the, the, it enough. You'd have to actually disinvest in it to shift that. So those are the things that we're going to need to, to make decisions. It's bigger than just, hey, there's a clean tech thing. It's going to have to be a structural thought about Canadian areas where we could compete, Canadian-owned IP that allows us to do that, then scale businesses that can be globally competitive, and then a big reckoning about a rotation of funding and support from one, our incumbency to these new industries. Okay, so that was Mike. Uh, that was a great, great conversation that we had. Uh, Mike has seen, you know, in his career, he's really seen so much disruption. He, BlackBerry was one of the major clients that Celestica had. Obviously, before BlackBerry went under, I think they represented 20 or 30% of the revenues that Celestica was bringing in at one point. Um, so he's really seen technology disruption up front. Uh, he made an interesting point, actually, in our conversation later on about the fact that I was asking about kind of emerging technologies, hydrogen, CCS, carbon capture, and storage. He made the point that <laughs> you've never seen a situation where technology disruption was being advocated for by the incumbents. <laughs> so you see natural gas companies, you see oil and gas companies who are actually the ones advocating for hydrogen and carbon capture technologies. So maybe that should give us pause, which I think was a good point. Also, it's very positive. We're seeing a number of companies that everyone will put on the fossil fuel advocates or big fossil fuel now realizing they've got to shift gears like survival they have to shift gears so that sounds like a very good interview from a sort of a broad perspective what's happening but also the technology that's going to be involved that's right yeah mike has a great overview on the clean tech sector in canada and obviously we dig into his own company morgan solar as well so what about the next one sure the next clip that you're going to be hearing is from julia st michael julia is the first sustainability director ever at N-Wave Corporation. N-Wave was the largest district energy provider in North America. Up until this summer, they've actually been sold by Brookfield 
to two separate entities. So the Canadian and the U.S. divisions are now separating after that sale. In this clip, you're going to hear Julia talk a little bit about the burgeoning interest in ESG, environmental, social, and governance uh, metrics, uh, and also a little bit about how the sale of N-Wave might have impacted their sustainability mandate and their sustainability directive. To preview that a little bit or to, to uh, foreshadow that a little bit, the answer is she doesn't think it's that big of an impact. Um, so here's Julia talking about ESG and uh, talking about the sale of N-Wave. There is truly a tsunami of interest that has built up in the past couple of years and is, is really washing over investors in general around sustainability and ESG. So regardless of what has, has recently happened with N-Wave, there is a huge interest, a pent-up interest in investing in green infrastructure in general. And I think that bodes very well for whatever company and whatever that company looks like or wherever that company is located, um, district energy in general, I think that bodes very well. Um, as we've already mentioned, there's lots of different opportunities for district energy to be decarbonized and is, is truly part of the solution for decarbonizing our energy system. So I think the fact that in general, there will be more investment, there will be more activity, there will be more interest, and therefore there will be more demand for lower carbon, greener energy. I think that bodes well for N-Wave. There you go. Yeah, I think that was a great conversation, Craig. Um, actually, it was funny. Right at the beginning, we were going over her backstory. We were going over her childhood and, and her university days. And it felt like everything she said, <laughs> it felt like she was telling me my own childhood. She went on this three-month exchange program to France. The same thing that I did when I was a kid. She went to space camp. I told you about how I was interested in space as a kid. So it just felt like <laughs> you know, she in, in the summer, her parents would take her uh, traveling to BC and in the back of the car. And so it was a great conversation that we had. Um, Julia, we're going to have another clip from Julia coming up here. Um, Julia works at N-Wave, which is one of the largest core competency district energy providers in North America. And we really talk about district energy as an opportunity and a technology that can catalyze decarbonization in the future just by decarbonizing the generating assets and not requiring any policies to go into existing buildings and decarbonize buildings at the site. What they're doing right now in Toronto with the well is significant in using a, a building site as an opportunity to create a big, huge well of stored water so that you can introduce that as a way of gathering heat, storing heat, and, and transferring it. I, was, I thought that's a hugely impressive project. Yeah. Is that something you talk about in the interview? Yeah, we talk about the well. I like to think about it exactly what you said. It's thermal battery. So it's like a battery for heat instead of a battery for electricity. If you see the pictures, which we're going to link to in the show notes when it goes out, of the well, it's basically like putting an empty grain silo underneath a high-rise tower in downtown Toronto. That's the size of this. So it's it's technologically interesting, but it's also interesting from a construction perspective. That's one of the projects that we talk about. The next clip that you're going to hear is Julia talking about district energy as a uh, decarbonization catalyzer. And we're talking about the Helsinki Energy Challenge, which was a international prize competition in 2020. This was a million-dollar prize competition for any proponents that could come up with a solution to decarbonize the heating system in Helsinki. And so the, the interesting thing that we're talking about in this clip is the fact that all of the final 10 
proponents that submitted solutions utilize the district energy system in Helsinki. That wasn't a requirement in the prize competition. There are lots of on-site solutions that could provide heating that was decarbonized, but none of the proponents proposed something that utilized on-site solutions. They all utilized district energy heating and cooling. And so the point that is being made in this clip that you're going to hear is the fact that when you have pipes in the ground, when you have the infrastructure in a city, it becomes really, really easy to decarbonize all of the heating for buildings in that city. So here's Julia talking about the Helsinki Energy Challenge. I think it's really important to note that when you have buildings connected to a district energy system, like in Helsinki, you have the ability to change or decarbonize every single one of those buildings from perhaps a central plant, but you don't have to change a thousand or two thousand or ten thousand buildings individually. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all that the winners and the, the shortlisted groups from the Helsinki Challenge chose to do that. Again, using something that's already there, but using something that is powerful and is connecting. Um, allows them to do a whole bunch of creative and innovative things with the energy that's going to all those buildings. I think one of the really important things about district energy is its ability to look at decarbonizing at the source and not relying on individual building owners um, or facility owners to decarbonize. It's just too problematic. And in fact, I, I think the whole project of having architects and engineers reduce energy and reduce carbon in each building has sort of been misguided. What we really need to do is reduce the demand for energy, yes, but get rid of carbon at the source. And so you can't do that unless you have some sort of district energy system or some supply of electricity that's sourced from a, from a zero carbon um, generation system. So I think district energy and zero carbon energy is the sine non of decarbonizing um, cities. So I think that's it, it's going to be a very relevant interview by the sounds of it. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, this is kind of uh, where my professional interest comes in and my professional bias, but I, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that I agree with you. Although one thing I, I will say, we talk about this on the podcast, and, and nobody is pretending here otherwise that district energy is by no means a panacea. And this is what Julia talks about in our conversation. No, it's one of the tools. It's it's one of the and tools. And it doesn't make sense everywhere. Yeah, but I agree. there are certainly cases where district energy can act as a, ca a catalyzer for decarbonizing our heating system, which is incredibly uh, difficult to do. To your point, it's like reducing the number of stakeholders involved from 100 down to one. You only need to do one thing. And a lot of these things go hand in hand. Like I've been a huge advocate of urban density because when you have urban density, then district energy makes a lot more sense because the number of kilometers of pipe you have to supply to supply that energy is much less. If you did district energy out in the suburbs, well, it's almost impossible because the runs of, of pipe length, right? So yeah, again, it's one of the key tools, but it will make a really interesting interview by the sounds of it. Yeah. And you could take that thought process one, one step further. You're talking about density on the load side. If we want to, and I'm not, I don't know, I have to think this one through, but to take it one step further, you could think about trying to co-locate heat sources with density as well. So strategic, and this is really an urban planning challenge, but it's trying to locate uh, thermal resources like data centers, thermal resources like sewer pipes. Oh, absolutely. Thermal, thermal da data centers are a huge production facility, exactly. facility for uh, thermal load. So one thing to think about is, should we be zoning and should we be um, strategically locating data centers 
where we can fully utilize those thermal resources. So you can't do that in uh, suburban development. There's just not the load for it. If you're right downtown, if you're right next to high-rise developments, then you can fully utilize those thermal resources. Well, as I think you're going to find in your interviews that decarbonizing our world is going to put us up against a lot of challenges that we haven't before had to really think about too hard. So it's going to be very interesting to see what uh, you're going to discover over the next year. I think that's, it's, it's going to be fascinating. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the 21st Century Imperative podcast. We've certainly enjoyed producing it. As you know, 21st Century is a not-for-profit venture, but we still have production costs. So to help cover these costs, we've launched a new online store with all proceeds going to cover production. And we have some great products for you. We have organic fair trade t-shirts and hoodies, as well as non-toxic BPA-free coffee containers, all with great graphics. So if you like the podcast, please think about helping us out by buying a t-shirt, hoodie, or mug for you and one for each of your friends. Head over to our website at tfcipodcast.com and click on the 21st Century Store button. So what's the next clip? So the last one, uh, I'm talking to Matt Tukarek. Matt and I actually go back quite a ways. We used to work together at an engineering consulting firm called Morrison Hirschfield. Matt, since then, has gone on to become the president of a company called Subterra Renewables. It's a, a local Toronto company that is working on geothermal geo-exchange solutions for mid to high-rise developments. And uh, I'll caveat that whole by saying that they've recently actually uh, undergone a merger with a, a drilling company out in Alberta. So when I say that they're a local company, I, I might be misguided there. I'll well, have to, local Canadian. Local Canadian, <laughs> in yeah. In the world scene. That's right, yeah. So I'll actually let the listeners in uh, behind the curtain a little bit here to say that we haven't fully recorded this podcast. We, we have it scheduled for when we can... Uh, meet in person. So just to date stamp this recording at the moment, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and here in Ontario, we're still in lockdown. So unfortunately we can't be doing uh, interviews in person, but we, I just, I was able to catch Matt briefly the other day, just on, on a phone call. And we chat a little bit about what we're going to be talking about in our upcoming conversation. Uh, and so, you know, just apologies to listeners here that the audio quality is a little off. Um, I hope everybody understands given the circumstances. Uh, in this clip, Matt is talking about utilizing geo-exchange, geothermal in Ontario to decarbonize the built environment. And he touches on why it's more difficult in other provinces and the magnitude of opportunity that geo-exchange offers in terms of decarbonization on a national scale. Okay, let's run it. Without a doubt, geo-exchange is part of the decarbonization recipe if you want to look at it that way right if you if you talk to all the, the smart consultants they're, they're going to say okay we need to do a few things to get to um zero carbon in our buildings uh we need to reduce the loads we need to put in uh the right type of mechanical system i.e a heat pump system and we need to get the rest of our power from a renewable source right that's sort of the that's sort of the recipe now it's 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 a hairy problem where it gets a little trickier is when you're in the regions that are still largely coal-based grids. You know, the, the prairie provinces uh, and the maritime provinces are kind of the, the big contributors here. Switching to a heat pump, you know, you you actually might hurt yourself on a on a total GHG scale. So for those provinces, like there's some more work that needs to be done, either you know federally mandated or or provincially mandated at least to 
change over the the energy production and clean the grid, so to speak. So so step one is is cleaning the grid, which which again some of the provinces have done. Once the grid is clean, fuel switching to a heat pump is is the no brainer way to do that. So from a you know from a, a national level, if if every building were to be a, a heat pump building, you know we would cut out I don't know a total of what ten percent of that, five percent of that, something like that. Like it's it's a really really big chunk when you when you look at it from a you know logical point of view, and so. For us, you know, our our goal is to try to put a geosystem in in every new building that we see, right? Like that's that's a very attainable goal. There's a little bit of additional design that needs to be done or some changes, but that should be the way that we're the way that we're moving. Without a doubt, every new building that goes up in in Ontario should have a geothermal system. Period. Great. And that rounds it out. That's all the clips I have for you today, Craig. I think this new segment on clean tech has a lot of potential for some really great interviews. So I'm really looking forward to hearing these interviews in full in future interviews. But this wouldn't be a 21st Century Imperative podcast without me asking the final three rapid fire questions to wrap up our interview. First question, what podcast related to these issues, clean tech, do you most often recommend to other people. Yeah, we've talked about podcasts that I was listening to uh, as kind of inspiration for, for an interviewing style. They don't really have anything to do with clean tech, yeah. with climate change. There's probably two that come to mind. I think I've recommended both of these to you, Craig, and I just like to say I'm not sure that you've listened to it. So, <laughs> um, The first one is The Interchange, hosted by a media platform called Green Tech Media. I think they were just unfortunately shut down, but the podcast is still going on. It's hosted by um, Shale Khan, who is a partner at the VC firm Energy Impact Partners and Stephen Lacey. And I think, you know, transparently, this is <laughs> somewhat of a inspiration for the type of podcast that I'm that I'm, I'm hoping to do. So, so you're right. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's on my <laughs> list. I've got a, a list of about 50 podcasts I want to hear. Yeah. Podcasts are, are easy to recommend. Uh, the second one is called The Energy Gang, and, and that's a similar format, but there's just more people on a panel. Again, just uh, going through different topics du jour on uh, energy sustainability decarbonization. So those would be the two. One, The Interchange. Two, The Energy Gang. And we'll put those links on the show notes. So second question, if you had the power to implement one change one innovation or one technology in cities around the world that would have the effect of significantly reducing CO2 emissions and or helping cities adapt to climate change, what would it be and why? I think probably when we're talking about technologies, they're, they're probably agnostic in a sense to jurisdiction. So I'm not sure that this is specific to cities, but certainly makes sense in most places in the world, city or not. When I think about decarbonization, like I kind of explained this before, I have these buckets of power and utilities, of buildings, of automotive, of um, agriculture and industry. And it's really about, uh, there, there is no silver bullet. We need new technologies or we need to accelerate existing technologies in each of these sectors. So there is no silver bullet here. But I think one technology that is kind of cross-sectoral that we know we need to develop and that we have no modeling scenario that exists to get to net zero without is carbon capture. Um, this is you know a super early stage um, technology 
I mean, there's lots of, of promising companies out there. Hopefully we can get some on the podcast in the future. Um, but I think if I had to choose one, I would probably choose carbon capture, but that's not to take away from the fact that we really need to be innovating on a lot of different fronts. And more importantly, we need to take technologies that already exist and we need to implement and we need to get it done quickly because 2050 is coming up very fast. So when you say carbon capture, do you mean all kinds of carbon capture it out of emissions as well as just out of the air? Yeah. I mean, if, if, I can get as granular as you want, but I would put that as one category of technology. Obviously, it's different to do direct air capture than it is to put carbon capture in a flue stack or, um, you know, those are different technologies. Where the concentration is higher. That's right. Those are different technologies. But as a general category, I think the, you know, when we look at IEA modeling, there is no scenario that exists to get to, de to, to full decarbonization without carbon capture, which I think is pretty powerful. Yeah, and I think we've got to figure out carbon capture going forward, both technical and biological means of doing it. Because the, the amount of CO2 in the, in the atmosphere now means that even if we stop producing CO2 tomorrow, we still have a problem. Right, and, and there's entire regulatory systems that need to be set up. We need, and I don't know the solutions here, but somehow we need to have a global price or a global market for carbon. We need to value this because it's quite frankly, simply just an expense. There are companies that are trying to utilize carbon. Um, but at the end of the day, if we need, to, if we, if we want to get to the levels of concentrations in the atmosphere that we need to get to, um, there needs to be some way to actually value this commodity. So let's hope that you can find some really good interviews on carbon. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm hoping to, yeah. If anybody listening has suggestions or companies that they want to hear from, uh, feel free to send me a message. So third question, if you could publish a full page spread in the Sunday New York Times or the Globe and Mail, more locally, of anything you wanted, written or graphic, what would it be? And maybe we should expand it to on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, you, you, you're trying to highlight the fact that I'm younger than you, Craig. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Well, you're a millennial. I'll say, but why would we be inclusive? contextual? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a great question. I think I'm hoping, I'm, I'm not hoping, but maybe something that I haven't said so far. And, and it's not something that I explicitly dwell on or, or try and highlight, but I think it, it will come out in the podcast and in the conversations that I'm having um, is the fact that especially I think at my stage in my career, I, I'm still figuring out where I fit in and where my strengths can be most utilized. I'm just trying to figure out where I can have the biggest impact, quite frankly. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are trying to figure that out as well. And so, you know, these are some of the conversations that I'm trying to have with people um, that, I'm, that I'm interviewing to understand how they got to the place that they got to, quite frankly. And so maybe one thing I might Put out there and this is something that i think about quite often on my own is uh and this is a quote i i, I don't i can't tell you who, who said the quote but certainly somebody smarter than i am the quote is um find where your strengths meet the world's needs and i i think transparently <laughs> that's part of what i'm trying to do with this podcast i'm trying to explore i'm trying to uh understand who the leaders are out there and i'm trying to figure out where my strengths meet the world's needs so that might be something uh, that I might put on an ad. Where would it go, by the way? New York Times or Instagram or <laughs> where do you want to put it? If I have to, I'm probably split on the New York Times. It would either be quoting somebody else. And the quote that I, I actually think about this quite often is um, just in figuring out where your place is, the quote is, you know, where do your greatest strengths meet 
the world's needs. And maybe it's not the quote verbatim, but in, I think that highlights the fact that, listen, there are a lot of problems out there to solve. Climate change is one of them. Um, I think, I hope that, you know, my temperament, my uh, abilities line up well with what I'm trying to do. But if that's not you, then that's not you. And figure out where you fit. The quote would be, where do your strengths meet the world's needs? And I don't know if that's the quote. I, I, I got to figure out who said that. Somebody definitely said that. I don't know if it's that verbatim, but I've heard of this. Speaking of technology. So closing question, is there anything that you would like to ask of our listeners? I, I don't think I have any grand message. I would say um, if anybody listening to this has ideas or is really excited about a particular topic, a particular person, a particular company that they'd like to hear from or about, then feel free to reach out to me either on LinkedIn, through the podcast, uh, through the email on the website, however you'd like to get in, in touch. I'm happy to, uh, to hear from anybody listening who has something that they'd like to hear about. So they can reach you. Why don't you set out your social media addresses? I don't have many. <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty reclusive when it comes to social media and I'm not exactly, uh, arch- I'm not a, I'm not a great archetype for the millennial generation. How do people reach you then? Uh, I think the best way is probably through the contact information on the website. Another way, if they do want to reach me on LinkedIn, you could just look me up. My name's Connor Reed. So we'll put the link in on LinkedIn on the show notes. Yep. So Connor Reed on, on LinkedIn. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Connor. That was a, a great conversation and I'm really looking forward to hearing your podcast. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me on and I'm looking forward to working together. You can find links to more information about this podcast and to notes about the books and references we've discussed at tfcipodcast.com. And if you like the podcast, please let us know by rating it on the Apple iTunes podcast website and by sponsoring the podcast on our Patreon sponsor page at patreon.com forward slash tfcipodcast. This podcast is ad-free and relies entirely on listener support from people like you. So... If you find our podcast interesting and valuable, please consider becoming a patron. Your sponsorship will not only help us cover the cost of production, but we will also be spending 50 cents of every sponsorship dollar to plant trees. To do this, we have formed a partnership with Community Forest International, who will not only be planting seedlings for you, but taking care of them to make sure they continue to grow and absorb carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So please head over to the Patreon page and become a sponsor. Until next time, thanks for listening.